This is Socrates and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. of the Yellow Pot. It's going to be a very busy show this time, although Borussia Dortmund had a scoreless draw against VfL Wolfsburg, but uh, there were a couple of other narratives going around, and uh, for that, all to discuss, join me once again, Konstantin Eckner. Hello, Konstantin, how are you doing? Hello, Stefan, I'm fine, how are you? I'm good as well, thank you. Matthias Zuck, hello, hello. Hello, Stefan. Hope you're doing fine as well. Of course. And long time, no here, but uh, finally back, Louis Ambrose. Hi. Hey, Louis. Hello. How's it going in Berlin? It's all good, thanks. Which is, of course, the place where Dortmund will play their next game at on Friday night. But, um, yeah, two things. First, uh, first of all, this episode is sponsored by Ben Patridge, who was so nice to uh, pledge us a couple of quits on patreon.com slash wall. Thank you for that. And uh, a fine stadium collector's mug will be on the way to your house. And um, yeah, the other thing before anything else, I briefly wanted to talk about um, was, uh, yeah, something that happened during the week and of course has to do with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and that's the entire Affenzirkus. Uh, do I want to call it debate? Let's, let's just call it incident. Uh, what happened is... Yeah, controversy if you want. Karl-Heinz Wild or Carlo Wild, he is the editor-in-chief of uh, the Kicker Fachmagazin. I guess it's safe to say that's the, the biggest uh, news or, or, you know, sport or football paper in Germany. And he was in a talk show and uh, call and basically said that, uh, you know, the antics of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang uh, would not uh, go far at Bayern Munich. And he used to term Affenzirkus. Uh, in, in Germany, that term does not have a negative connotation. However, it literally translates to, uh, you know, monkey circus. And that, of course, is a problem in, in different languages. In Germany, you know, this, this you know, usually it's Affentheater, the, the term that it's used. It's usually used by a teacher when he, you know, goes to a classroom that has been vacated by you know any supervision for like five minutes and there's an absolute madhouse going on so this is it was a bad misunderstanding <laughs> so um speaking of madhouse yeah speaking of madhouse um that's that's actually one thing i think the english i think madhouse is a bit generous as well as a translation because in english you could say monkey business but nobody would say that if they're talking about a situation yeah, be, be, like this and that's because it it, it it does also the word monkey in, in the English language has a racial connotation. Yeah, I think exactly. that's very fair to say. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know the 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 thing is, um, you know, a, a different newspaper or, or, or online outlet wrote it down, and Pierre Marie Aubameyang picked it up, and of course googled it, what what it would mean, and uh, you know, 
With little to no surprise, he found, you know, at least he understood the way that it would be a racial slur to aim toward him, which it was not. Uh, however, I can very much understand why he would, you know, feel racially insulted. And um, Carlo Wild and Kicker obviously quickly were issued, you know, an apology and, uh, you know, made clear that it was not meant with that intention. Um, and that's all okay so far. So the, the the big issue I take with this, as Constantine called it, con controversy, was then that uh, newspapers like Bild, and I don't know if it was Urnachrichten and, and others as well, basically try to make a connection between that incident and, um, you know, him skipping a, a team meeting and basically framing it like Aubameyang and his dad are using this uh, racial slur or whatever this incident as a, another reason to leave. Uh, I mean, the uh, father of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang posted on Instagram, uh, quote, a shitty journalist who treats my son as a monkey. I have the, uh, the impression that he wants to take us back to Hitler's time. I just think that little uh, monkey and his family have to leave here because it becomes unlivable. At least this classless newspaper will be pleased to know that we are no longer home where, where home is. So, you know, I, I think you have to have some goal like Bill to actually make this connection and, and basically say how, uh, you know, manipulative this is. Even if it's true, as a journalist, you cannot make this assumption, let's say, without having any proof and I'm 100% certain they do not have proof and I can also not tolerate other journalists uh, making fun of the whole situation on, on Twitter and elsewhere calling this Affenzirkus and to anyone out there who basically had, who, whose first reaction it was, oh well Aubameyang should just learn German so he would know it's not the racial slur. First of all, Aubameyang most likely knows more languages than you. And, and second of all, it's a colloquial term no one needs to know. I mean, I'm doing a podcast and I yeah, earn 100% of my living with the English language. It's a second language to me as well. And I do not know every colloquial phrase in the English language. So again, I cannot stress enough how wrong you are. And this has made me quite mad and uh, especially with, uh, you know, people that I actually respect, you know, doing, you know, drawing connections there and, and making fun of the entire situation. Because, you know, the United States of America right now have a president that refers to, you know, a good portion of the world as a shithole country. And, uh, you know, we have... Uh, tone deaf H&M out there so um, just and of of course uh, recently I think Leon Balogun or, or who mm -hmm. was it yeah, or, or Anthony Uja who have been uh, racially abused while warming up because fans needed to make monkey noises um, so we live in a world you know of course the German language works in one way but where we, we live in a world where we need to broaden our horizons a little bit and not make any accusations toward Aubameyang. Now, of course, there are different, uh, let's call them behaviors of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang we can also condemn. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to, you know, use this platform first and foremost to, uh, yeah, underscore that those two things should be treated separately and anyone who does it differently, uh, yeah, can go fuck themselves. So if any one of you wants to chime in, be my guest.
I, yeah, I think personally my biggest issue was a lack of understanding. To, Aubameyang didn't even complain about being criticised. He didn't have any problem with the fact that his behaviour was questioned by a journalist. It was just this word that was used. And then, as you say, prominent journalists, even on Twitter, then respond by mocking him completely. A guy, you know, a guy who has probably faced a hell of a lot of racial abuse in his life complains that he feels like he's being racially abused when somebody in a foreign language uses a term about a monkey. I think it's a completely understandable connection that Aubameyang made and that he would react really emotionally to that. And suddenly we have journalists basically just taking the piss out of him. And yeah, and, you are absolutely and, and right. And also questioning his motives for it, like the, which is a really callous allegation to make. And the the lack of sensitivity. People were too too eager to say, like the first thing that should be made to happen in a situation like this is everyone needs to make sure that the the person who feels like they have been racially abused, targeted, whatever, feels okay. And instead, the first reaction was for white people to just defend themselves immediately. And it's just wrong. Yeah, especially as you pointed to, you know, it was probably not the first time Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has been racially abused in his life. Well, as you mentioned, we it's clearly happening, happened this weekend in a Bundesliga stadium. So Just one thing. I mean, I, I totally agree that um, there has to be a little bit, uh, has to be more sensitivity shown Um when something like that happens, especially in like, I mean, there's a language barrier and then, you know, he, he basically explained on Instagram that he Googled um, the word and that uh, something related to monkeys came up. And I mean, yeah, it, it's understandable that he's upset about it. And and also, I, I think, yeah, there are um, instances like the one with Leon Balogun um, the past weekend, it happens more often than, uh, than it is reported, actually. Um, and I mean, that happens... Uh, so many times, but I mean, the players sometimes they don't say anything, you know, they don't complain online, um, they don't go out, and uh, I mean, you know, players they are uh, who are racially abused, and um, they don't, they don't really say anything. Basically, you know, they don't want to be. It's it's just it's just uh, some kind of a culture thing, actually. Uh, sometimes, or it's like, uh, like. Uh, some players are maybe hesitant to, you know, complain about it, and then they they think they look weak or so. Um, but others go out like like Balogun and say, okay, um, that that this and that happened when uh, you know during warm up, and um, that happened towards me and and Antonio Um Only 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 problem or only issue I had with um, what happened afterwards uh, from the Oam Young side was what his father wrote. Um, Basically saying that they had to get get out of Germany because you know some one journalist said something. But it also it wasn't one journalist because other people defended it. Still, or still, it. still, still. That's a stu- that's still it's a stupid it's a stupid statement. Sorry. Even if it's five or ten or t- or uh, okay. twenty journalists or or fifty journalists. Sorry. I feel like if somebody has has been the subject of racial abuse for a lot of their lives and then feels racially abused, I can completely understand why they would want to remove themselves from the situation yeah, but, but 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 then he shouldn't he shouldn't he shouldn't move to england he shouldn't move to italy by the way because because racism is a bigger issue there uh, especially in england i know it 
uh, because I have lived in, in uh, as you, I mean, lived in the UK and Germany. I think racism is even a bigger issue sometimes in the UK uh, because it, nobody, I mean, yeah, I don't know, but uh, sometimes I, I think that's a, that... that's a huge, huge statement to try and make. The UK is a, there are a lot of issues in the UK, but it's certainly a much more integrated society than over here in Germany. And I but, think, but pe people take less offense with uh, white white extremist uh, views. Uh, let it let it put me this way. Yeah, but I think yeah, but that's a not racism in particular, but white with okay, white, so, white so his extremist. Problem, his problem um, was with racism, um, sure. and I, like I say, it, it is a much more integrated society, generally speaking, in the UK, especially in the big cities. And I think, like, I can understand a really emotional reaction to this whole thing developing. I think that. It's. I, I'm not saying it's right, um, but just that I can really sympathize with with that. But generalization. That's the problem. That's the problem. Generalization. You know. That's the problem. He he generalizes as well. And and I, yeah, I think Obama was Obama has every right to be upset. And I mean, he should he should even complain more about it actually. Um, or he should you know he should be more vocal actually. Um, but, but he, he was he he was. You know, he he held back, or I think he he held back a little bit be, because he wasn't he uh, he didn't want to you know blow it out of out of water too much. But uh, I mean, he had he had every right to be even more upset about it. But the statement, but but one one sentence in his father's statement was just not right because generalization is one of the biggest problems. And when you complain about racism, racism, then generalization is is like it comes back, and that's a problem. I don't disagree, but I, again, I think that was a very emotional statement. And the last thing that I would like to say on the matter is that the I, I find the defense, oh, but it's common in the German language. I understand it, yeah. but I think it's ridiculous. I think there yeah, are... Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. Well, you know, language is fluid. Language develops over time. And as I can completely understand why Affenzirkus, Affentheater, is a term that has been used and will continue to be used, actually. But I can really understand the meaning of the term and why it is used. I can't understand that people not recognizing that this is a term that needs to stop being used because of the connotations. Okay, I'd like to say something here on that that aspect. Uh, as someone who's lived in, in a lot of countries in this world, uh, first of all, uh, Obama Young has every right to feel aggrieved by a very poor choice of words. I don't believe anybody here believes that Kalovit is a racist. No. I don't believe anybody here thinks that he thought to use that term maliciously to racially offend Obama Young or any other black player. Um, that being said, Lewis, the one thing you said that that, that term needs to be stricken from the German vocabulary if I use that term with my kids because they are rambunctious and tearing the place down, then that's perfectly fine and acceptable. There's there nothing are, wrong with that. There are other words but, to use, and I feel uncomfortable personally using words. Using, okay. I feel no, please, let me finish. I feel no, uncomfortable. I'm still talking, and you're going to let me finish right now because I wasn't done yet. So first of all, that's okay, but you shouldn't use it in the connotation that he did and realize who you're talking to and who you're talking about. So in that context, you shouldn't use it. 
The other thing, and I agree with Constantine, to generalize that basically Germany is a hotbed of racism and Nazi sympathies, because the evocation of the term Nazi or Hitler is one of extreme proportions. And I don't think anybody will ever will think that Kalowitz is a Nazi or a Hitler sympathizer. Especially, like, can I, can I add one thing? Especially in 2018 or 2017-18, when Germany is the one country in Europe who's willing to open the doors to hundreds of to millions of refugees. Well, let's not the pretend the German electorate didn't go way to the right in the what? election last what? year. Actually, the German electorate has moved to the right since 2009. That was way before. Okay. Um, so that was way before that, and, and also not re not really because like we talk about 15 percent, not about the majority. No, um, but it's but, not. But it's, but, but, it, that's a movement to the right, and uh, so let's not. Yeah, pretend like like in, like in every other like in every other European country, uh, UK, France. Austria, but we're but not talking about. But the German them. society is still the one that is, that is at least willing. That's uh, what about that is, that is just at least it. willing. Um, no, it's just it's just it's just a, a general political development. It's not something particular in Germany. It's, it is, it's, but, it's Germany across Europe. but Germany it's isn't. But Germany isn't exempt from that. Yeah, it's, I, I don't say that, but but Germany, but the well, German no. societies, the German uh, German society wasn't especially in 2015 was the one was the one exception in Europe. Yeah. When it comes to foreigners, I, when it comes I, to people I, I who need help, I don't feel like it's right to make G Germany the victim in this situation. Uh, the, the, Germany is not the victim in this situation, but uh, we should at least respect something because Germany is the exception in Europe in one regard. When it comes to foreigners, I can understand what Aubameyang and his whole family have felt or said in this past week, and oh, I sure. don't think Germany is the victim. Germany no is here is saying no, that no Germany one, no is the victim. Has, but has said has that, but, but, it's, but it's, it, it was just not no, smart from no his father's side Germany. to say that. That's the problem. It's just not smart from his father to say something like that. I agree, it's just, but it's, it's just you know, you know, especially in that situation. I mean, let Young speak and maybe let let him go. You know, make an interview with uh, before B total. Okay. I, I don't his know. His father's allowed to have. A, an opinion and sure but he but he's but we are allowed like to criticize him for, for, for something because i mean when when you want you know when you want to hold people accountable and you should that in regards to, to words like that then you should be held accountable to uh, something like that you say when you generalize i don't when think i don't think he was right or smart to do what he said and i'm not saying that at all yeah that's okay there yeah, we are we are queer, I guess. Oh, but sorry, I interrupted. Uh, no, Lewis, Lewis can just uh, sympathize with the emotional outburst of his father. That's all he's trying to say, I guess. So with with that, uh, this was Don Lemon, and we'll take a quick break. <laughs> no, but on, honestly, um, I, I think that's a very um, important discussion. And I honestly also have to say that I, I was a little bit surprised that uh, the club, Borussia Dortmund themselves, did not make any sort of attempt to maybe moderate that situation or use it to condemn racism mm -hmm. um I, I i know it's it's complicated because obviously carlo will did not uh you know as as matthias and, and others have pointed out he most certainly did not mean it in any sort of racist way however i think that's a very good possible or, or opportunity to once again uh yeah, underscore in what kind of world we're living in and, uh, you know, that we all have to be a little bit more sensitive about what we say and do. 
So, um, yeah. That being said, uh, you know, there's a very like high, high chance that I will call Aubameyang a dick in five minutes. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Anyway, do you want to talk about it? I, I guess we'll, we'll start with you, Matthias. Um, one hour before the uh, kickoff, uh, Borussia Dortmund tweeted out that Pierre-Marie Aubameyang was not included in the matchday squad due to a disciplinary measure. By now, we all know that he skipped a team meeting, uh, which was all about team spirit and, you know, common goals of the squad. And, uh, it's you know, he has some gall to miss exactly that. I guess that's a very, uh, it's a big statement by itself. But Matthias, uh, I'll let you take the reins now and, uh, you know, give us your opinion on the entire ordeal. <laughs> my, my opinion. Well, um... In general, uh, certain situations or actions notwithstanding, I'm very big on giving people another chance. Um, and Obama Young has been given multiple chances given of past, in, past indiscretions, let's call it that. Um, or transgressions would be the actual English word. Um, <laughs> but in this case, honestly, and I, and I tweeted about it as well, he can go take a leap. I don't want him in the team. I don't want him at the club. I want him to go... Since you already used the F word, there's the explicit tag anyway. I want him to go fuck off. And I want him to go fuck off now. Because I'm tired of this shit. I really, really, really am. The club bend over backwards to even accommodate him in special superstar ways, which I am completely against in a team where there are a lot of players that are at least on the edge of superstardom or already are superstars and have done more in their careers. So to me, to do that and to then say, oh, I forgot about it. Bullshit. You don't forget about that. You d that's not something you, oh, oh, man. Oh, why didn't it update my app? No. You, you deliberately chose to leave because he deliberately wants to once again walk away from Dortmund and don't let the door hit him on the ass on the way out. Just go. Get what we can get for an aging player who's obviously significantly more interested in himself than any team or club or supporters. And I understand taking care of number one. All of us do that. But at some point, there also has to be a, this is a team sport, we are a team. He let his teammates down, he let the club down, and he let the supporters down. And again, through this type of immature, selfish, petulant behavior. And as such, get out. It's very simple. Just leave. You want to leave? Let's leave. Let's sell them. I don't care if it's for 40 million or 60 million or 80 million. I just want him and that influence gone out of that dressing room. Yeah, I mean, Peter Stöger also called bullshit on live TV, you know, saying that Aubameyang, you know, first his first reaction was, oh, I forgot. And uh, Stöger, you know, just, just, just called him out on that, which, uh, you know, is... <laughs> Also, some sort of indictment, and uh, yeah, Michel Zorc. I think he he said it on Sky, but he also um, said it after the game. Uh, you know, he's like currently, I don't know what is going through his mind. I do not recognize him anymore. I have to frankly say, over the years, he was always an extroverted guy, 
but also always served as a prime example for professionalism. Well, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure about it, given the uh, Master Striker mask and, and such, you know, little stunts he pulled, uh, whether that's, uh, you know, a prime example for professionalism, but whatever. Uh, continue quote, he has always worked disciplined and professionally, but I cannot detect that at the moment. So as you already said, Matthias, uh, the club is, you know, wants to have him out, but, you know, Zorg also adds, again, it's not always easy for us to deal with that. After all, he has a hand in about 50% of our goals. But at some point, certain behavior is no longer tolerable. So, um, Lewis, since you are an Arsenal fan, first and foremost, and uh, that seems to be the likely destination of one Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, um, first of all, how happy are you that Mr. Professional 3000 is going to join your club alongside with uh, another Mr. Professional 3000, Henrik Mkhitaryan, uh, depending on Mino Raiola Possibly, yeah. getting getting a new uh, mention or not out of this deal. Um, so, uh, from an Arsenal perspective, how do you feel about this move? Do you are you happy that Aubameyang is joining Arsenal? To replace Mr. Sanchez, I don't know. Did that? Do you go through yet? No, uh, not yet. We're we're waiting for Mr. Raiola to, well, lower his demands or make some sort of deal with Manchester United. So that could take forever. <laughs> yeah, but any anyway, um, how do you feel? Yeah, I I know you you must feel a little bit weird about this because you're a Dortmund fan and an Arsenal fan, so. Uh, Give me the insight <laughs> to your emotional <laughs> setting. Uh, well, I guess ever since I started watching Dortmund about 10 years ago, almost, well, um, it was never, like, I've never wanted Arsenal to sign a Dortmund player. Uh, so, but I've always kind of thought that if Dortmund are to sell someone, then I guess I would rather them end up at Arsenal because... Like we've seen with Henrik Mkhitaryan and Shinji Kagawa and others, I don't really want them to go to clubs that I don't like uh, because I like the players, generally speaking. So it's kind of a, a weird situation. Um, probably helped along by the fact that this currently feels like a good time for both parties. Arsenal will need some kind of big name to placate fans after losing Alexis Sanchez. The, the fee is huge for a guy that turns 29 at the end of the season. Uh, the prospective fee is huge for a guy that turns 29 at the end of the season and is extremely quick, as we know. So I, I think from an Arsenal perspective, the deal would actually be an enormous risk. They also spent £50 million on a striker last summer, Alex Lacazette, who could play out wide but isn't really... Well, isn't a wide player. He is a striker. And as we know, Pierre-Emerick Kobamiang is not even close to the player he is out wide as he is up front. So I, the deal was a bit of a confusing one, to be honest. Yeah, but it seems like it's going to happen. Of course, Yahoo Sport you know, wrote at some point today that uh, Real Madrid are maybe planning for last-ditch bid, which in my mind actually makes sense for them. Um but, um, Constantine, let's address the elephant in the room, of course. Uh, you know, let's give this a little bit of background. 
Borussia Dortmund opened the transfer window for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang this summer. So he actually was already good to go if there was a club to make a bid for him. And then at some point they closed that transfer window for him before the actual transfer window closed because they said they did not have a contingency plan. And because of that they will plan with him now and also made it pretty clear that um, he would stay on throughout the entire season until, of course, Aubameyang, uh, yeah, stepped out of boundaries and, uh, yeah, basically played foul. So the the question is now Dortmund are just on fourth place and they must make sure they finish in the top four and qualify for the Champions League without their best striker in a good decade or so. I, I don't know. It's hard, hard to say. But nevertheless, with their main source for goals, uh, how are Dortmund going to deal with that? I mean, I'm, st I'm still curious who would, would have been the replacement. I mean, when when they opened basically the door for Aubameyang to leave, um, like in, in the, the first half of last year, uh, I'm still curious who would have been the replacement back then because the, the, I said the forward mark is just so thin. And um, I mean, right now you can see that there might be one uh, guy they could sign to replace Ormion, but um, otherwise, I mean, if you if you would sell him and um, if you would sell Ormion, then you would you know you would have to go with uh, I don't know Alexander Isak or Andre Schürrle at the at the forward unless you sign someone. Um, I mean, this is just what it's just one position, uh, basically, in in European or world football where there are really a limited amount of options. I mean, you can see it across the Bundesliga and and even across Europe um, that a lot of clubs struggle to find a feasible, um, 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 yeah, com let let's say at least a decent uh, to good center forward. Um, you can put up a, f a few goals uh, or even more um, than a few. Um, so. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I guess uh, it will work out, or at the end it will basically play out uh, similarly to what uh, to the uh, entire uh, Dembele Yamolenko deal uh, in summer. So, I mean, if Dortmund has someone they can sign, or like the the papers are ready to be signed, um, then they they will they will just um, let him go, uh, let Aubameyang go. And will like basically at the same time uh, simultaneously they will announce uh, yeah that's our new our new player our signing here. Um, but uh, if they can't sign someone for whatever reason because the transfer uh, or the transfer fee is too high or you know a player X Y and Z they decide against joining Borussia Dortmund during the winter transfer window then um, you basically have to keep him. Uh, Otherwise, you would risk um, to uh, really drop or lose a step, at least one step, um, uh, going forward. I mean, for the second part of the season, um, it's just without uh, really one good, one um, reliable center forward. Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty tough. It will be pretty tough for Dortmund. Uh, I mean, you can you can have all the talent in the world uh, in your attacking department on the on the wings, uh, you know, in, in attacking midfield. Uh, but still, you need you need uh, one center forward, you know, for the layoff balls, for for um, converting crosses, for everything. Uh, it's just you know you can't play without one. Um, Mario Götze as a, as a false nine is not some something you should do. 
uh, especially right now in his uh, in, in the in the in the state he is in, uh, basically because he's he's currently he's basically transitioning into into a far uh, more playmaking kind of guy, and I I don't think it would help him uh, fielding him as a false nine. So uh, Andre Shirley, he's not he's not uh, similar to to Aubameyang, but even more severe in his case. He's not someone you can we rely on in terms of you know layoff uh, passes and uh, keeping the ball, you know, uh, keeping long ball or receiving and keeping long balls and stuff like that. It's it's not really working out with him. Um, same with Yarmolenko, basically. So, I mean, you have Alexander Isak, and that's it. And that's not enough for the, the kind of ambition uh, Dortmund has right now. So, um, yeah, I, I think it will be... Either it will work out like the Dembele-Yarmolenko uh, deal, or they have to keep Aubameyang at least for another uh, five months or so, you know, un- until the end of the season in May. Yeah, Matthias, uh, that's a very good point Constantine raises. And uh, I, I guess in hindsight, we can already say Dortmund kind of swapped Dembele for mediocrity and Yamolenko. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, well, that's just how it is. I'm sorry. Yeah, but, um, but they had at least a replacement, you know. Yeah, but they at least had a replacement. Yeah. So, Matthias, Yay. if Dortmund do, do not <laughs> decoy replacement, if, if Dortmund do not come up with a contingency plan, as they did not this summer, apparently. Uh, although you already told him to f off, uh, do you still say Dortmund have to keep him, or do they just, you know, cut the loss and, uh, you know, risk going, you know, the second half of the season without anyone else but Isak? Oh, well, they have players that could play in that role. I mean, if you think about it, that that traditional center forward, you know. Nine role is is one that Liverpool live without, and they certainly don't have a problem scoring goals. I mean, granted, we don't have a Mo Salah, but um, they don't have when Marco that. Royce can play that role. Yeah, I mean, they don't have they don't have that traditional striker, and they seem to be doing just fine. So, I'm not overly concerned about that. To be perfectly honest, um, I think the Wolfsburg match is more the fact that Isak and Sancho just really haven't had game time. You know, and, and you can definitely see that. And there was rustiness and there's lack of sharpness there at that high level, but they got into the positions they needed to. I think the goals will come. You know, we certainly can't accuse Obama Young of being overly clinical all the time. Um, I'd still want him to leave because I personally believe the goals will come one way or another, whether it's from a Michael Royce or somebody else in that position. To me, the distraction he brings, the discontent he can potentially sow in that dressing room is a bigger problem than maybe losing out on some goals, personally. Um, and I would just as soon see him go away. If he doesn't go away and he pulls his shit together, cool, great. He's going to pull all this crap again in the summer. No questions asked. Uh, and Dortmund definitely have to get rid of him after this season. I don't think there's there's a bridge left to build. Uh, but I still think you get rid of him with with bringing someone in or not bringing someone in. I I mean, ideally you bring someone in, but if not, I still think the negative that he can bring to this dressing room overall over the next few months is a bigger risk, in my opinion. All right, so. Talking about potential targets or replacements, um, 
first, I think the, the initial name that dropped was Olivier Giroud, who of course uh, is uh, looking for an exit. He's 31 years old. And um, I think there was there was a report, I don't know if it's, if it's official or not, or whether that was an actual Giroud quote, but, uh, you know, he was going to join Dortmund at one point if it wasn't for Aubameyang being there. Um, Louis, you probably know that better than I do. And, um, you know, do you think that Giroud, signing Giroud right now would make sense for Dortmund? Uh, yes. I, th I think there for a few reasons. Dortmund will not find a player in January who scores like Aubameyang scores. He has, for like minutes per goal, he's the second best in the history of the Bundesliga behind Gerd Müller. So it, it's not going to happen. You're not going to replace that just willy-nilly. So, um, yeah, I think Aubameyang going would leave a huge hole and then you have to find other ways to make up for that contribution. And Giroud would chip in with goals. He has a pretty strong goal record in his time at Arsenal. And more importantly, he's much, much better in the build-up play, in play around the box combinations than Aubameyang is with his teammates. So I think we would see wide players, central midfielders bursting into the box probably chipping in with more goals each with Giroud at the club. And like you said, he's 31. Um, he has to play well because he's made one league start all season until now. And the, as we know, the French national team is stacked with attacking talent. So if he's going to have any chance of going to the World Cup, which would be his last ever chance of a World Cup, he has to play really well the second half of the season and play regularly somewhere. Um, yeah, he's 31, but... Alex Isaac, if the club really believe he's going to be an answer, is going to have to come into the team sooner or later. So having a 31-year-old striker compared to someone in their mid-20s actually means that that gap will be there in two years maybe for Isaac to take on the mantle as a first-choice striker. Yeah, that is a very good point. And I do believe looking at Giroud and uh, yeah, how he uses his body... Um, You know, I, I think Bundesliga defenders will struggle much more with his sort of playing style than Premier League defenders. Um, I might be generalizing, but, you know, in general... <laughs> Maybe a bit. I, 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 the I, one, I, I mean, Dortmund would would probably suffer a bit on the counter-attack, even though he's slow. Giroud makes nice decisions on the counter-attack, but there's no way he's going to join in from one end of the pitch to the other the way that Aubameyang does. Um But I think we see those combinations all the time around the edge of the area with Kagawa. We saw it at the weekend with Sancho. Yamalenko gets involved with that sometimes. Michael Royce when he's available. And Aubameyang is never really in the middle of that when they're exchanging passes like that. And if we're going to say there's one thing that Giroud is brilliant at, it would be that. Also, interestingly, something he's added for Arsenal quite often is defending corners. He comfortably clears pretty much every corner that comes to the near post and as we all know for quite some time Dortmund have needed some help with defending set pieces that is very 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 true Konstantin um, there is a 24 year old Belgian uh, on the fringes of the Chelsea squad that has also been linked with Borussia Dortmund um, his uh, name is 
<laughs> and uh, you may or may not want to talk about him a little bit. He has also been, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. At least, at least Lars told me that this would be his favorite option. Lars, not here mm. right now, but, uh, mm. you know, in Stellvertretung, Konstantin, you can talk about Michi Bachuai now. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I I agree with Lars, basically. I mean, uh, as, I, as I said earlier, the just the market um is is pretty pretty thin for the uh, for the center forward like for the traditional center forward role um so yeah i mean you have to figure out who you can who you could sign right now who has some experience <coughs> on the kind of upper um european level uh which in uh, Bachuai's case he ha he has uh because of his um years at uh, marseille and chelsea I mean, he's basically playing at a higher level since uh, 2014. I mean, before that, he's played for Standard uh, three years in Belgium. Still, you know, somewhat of a higher level, and and um, so he's basically uh, um, accustomed to yeah what you what you have to do um, against your um, customary you know, mediocre customary defenses in Premier League or Bundesliga. There's not really much of a gap actually. Um, so that would help. Um, also, he has pace, um, pretty athletic, um, and I think his positioning, um, link-up play is, is better than Aubameyang's. Actually, he's a little bit more of a of a forward-looking uh, center forward, basically, um, just like Aubameyang, but also can play the layoff, um, which you know is not Aubameyang's strong suit because he's basically only a forward running. Uh, set the forward, so um, not really good with respect towards the goal, but Bachuai uh, is at least better in that department than Wamiyang, uh, which can help. Um, so yeah, all the options I've heard, I think he he might be the most. What one point is he might be the most realistic uh, option uh, for the Wamiyang uh, replacement, and also he might be the. Uh, you know, with the, the option of the highest quality. Um, because I don't believe Jiu uh, is actually a thing that would happen at Dortmund. Uh, although, I mean, all Dortmund women and, you know, women outside of Dortmund would go crazy for him. We know that. Um, Generalizations. Yeah. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually it is. Um, 75% of all of, of Dortmund women would go crazy for him. Yet another generalization? No, it's... It's, a it's, general. it's not it's, a generalization. It's, it's, it's specific. It's, it's, it's a made-up statistic. It's, 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 I, I, I just made a survey, all right? Online. <clears throat> um, right. <laughs> no. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I think they would... Uh, I mean, Dortmund would sell some jerseys, whatever. Um, no, but but uh, also they would God. sell some, some jerseys with Batuai, actually, um, because you could, could build some hype with, uh, surrounding him. Um yeah, uh, I would like it. Um, I mean, uh, Chelsea, I've heard they are close to signing Andy Carroll. Uh, because they, they, I mean, they had uh, Diego Costa, although he didn't play a role in uh, this season, but they had him. Um, he went back to Atletico de Madrid. Um, so now they have only Morata and Bacuay as like traditional center forwards. Hassar plays as the supporting uh uh, striker sometimes, but um, in, in a two-striker system. But um, Bajoy is like the the 
um, the guy you need uh, as, as the Morata replacement or as the Morata substitution. Um, so if they sell him, I mean, they need someone else. And if they are close to, to signing Andy Carroll, I could see uh, them letting Wachuai go because his stint at Chelsea wasn't like as, you know, as successful as they hoped when they signed him uh, from, from Olympique de Marseille. Um, so why not? I mean, why not? Um, I, 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 I could see it happening. Um, also, uh, before he went to Chelsea in 2016, there were always rumors, um, you know, concerning him and Dortmund. Maybe they would sign him, yada, yada, yada. And it never happened, but you never know how close the contact between uh, Dortmund's front office and, and uh, the Bajorai agent, the Bajorai um, side was so uh, maybe um, they could do it right now and uh, you know just warm up the old contacts and uh, get something going there um, and but one last thing regarding Aubameyang is just let's say he leaves um, within the next few days um, that would be the, the second player who basically forces his way out of Dortmund within a few months I mean the, the Dembele story is still fresh um you know it's still we, we remember vividly what he did uh you know just not showing up to training then being suspended and uh, ultimately uh, leaving or you know Dortmund allowing him to leave to go to Barcelona um it would be the second time um, I mean that's like a development you you have to stop basically uh I mean maybe like oh I'm younger but afterwards uh I mean that, that's just a tendency now um, and you know who who will be the next player? I don't know, um, but maybe there will be uh, another player then who tries to force his way out, and you know because he he knows that it it had worked with um in the regards. So to, how do you stop it? To um, yeah, I think just uh, just locking them up in your basement. I guess I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, all of, you're all still gonna them, have you know, a lot. twenty-five players in your basement. Uh, um. I of course there are a few players who who may have the tendency to do uh, to you know to pull off uh, stuff like that uh, someone like Dembele who's not you know, who don't have close ties to the club you know I don't think Schmelzer uh, or or someone or I mean someone like him would you know pull off a stunt like that um, but there may be others I don't know what I mean we don't know what happens. We don't know what happens with uh, other players. I don't want to accuse anyone, you know, but there are other players uh, who will probably leave or who, who are willing to leave Dortmund when the right offers coming from a bigger club. I mean, there are, you know, who knows what happens, but I don't want to name anyone because uh, it would be wrong to to now, you know, say, you and Weigl, what will he do when, when Manchester City is coming with a with big-time offer and, you know, offering him the holding midfielder position because Fernandinho is not working uh, the way uh, Pep Guardiola wants him to do. Um, so, but but I don't want to accuse him. But I mean, there is just you know, um, basically Dembélé was the first case, and and if it if it happened once, it's, it's still all right. Uh, but if it happens twice, it becomes an issue. Yeah, Matthias, is there any way to fix that issue at all? Well, I mean, you have historically, like if you go to the NFL. You've got those situations where you've got rookies who got drafted, who gets who sit out training camps because they want a better deal. Uh, that got stamped out by basically structuring rookie deals in a way that 
well, you can max make this if you're drafted this position. So they basically, they there's still some guys who hold out, but for the most part, it's kind of taking care of that stuff. You have, you have veteran free agents who can hold out, but it doesn't happen that often, especially on teams like, say, the Patriots with Bill Belichick, because he just doesn't put up with that kind of crap. And it's, it's a matter of not putting up with it. I think with Obama Young at this point, I personally wouldn't have begrudged him a move at all. I mean, he was a great servant to the club. He did. He scored a lot of goals, um, was always entertaining, always in a good mood. And if he would have gone in the summer or gone, let's call it organically in that in that aspect, or traditionally in the winter or after the season, perfectly fine. No problems, man. You, you did great things for us. But to create a semi-toxic environment to force it out, I'm, I'm more the kind that believes, fine, somebody who's going to be that toxic, that extremely selfish, you just get rid of them. Now, you don't always know what people are going to turn out to be, even through scouting or psychological analysis or anything like that. But you can, you can, you can kind of shy away from signing, I don't know, Mario Balotelli as an example, um, you know, or, or, or somebody. <laughs> that, that one's or, not go. Yeah, or Joey Barton. You know, you, you know, these players are toxic and you stay away from them, which still surprised me that some teams just can't seem to stay away from them. Um, at the next the next step, I think it's a case by case situation. If a player comes to you who's been of great service and wants to make the next step in his career, I don't think any club should stand in their way. And if the club says, no, you're going to see at your contract, we don't care what you want. I don't begrudge a player for being upset and trying to alter things, but there's a way to do it. And then there's a way to not do it there. The way Dembele did it was, did it was petulant and childish, but then again, he's still a kid. So you can kind of excuse it in that aspect. The way Obama young is doing it is disrespectful and it's letting his teammates down. You can't stand. And for he that. has three kids, so he should be a better role model well, in theory. Yes. Um, but trust me, they're having children does not mean you're going to be a role model. Um, <laughs> there's more to it than just procreating. But beyond that, it, Obama Young is a situation where you let him go. If a player like Lewandowski, everybody knew he wanted to leave. Everybody knew where he wanted to go. But it, there was no no true animosity. Mario Götze was different because it was personal. Um, if Marco Royce would want to leave, I don't think he does. Or... You know, depending on who he wants to go to, there are certain players you wouldn't begrudge the move, but there's a way to go about it. You know, Lewandowski still showed up to work. He wasn't disrespectful. He didn't miss team meetings. Mats Hummels didn't miss team meetings. Ilkay Gunuan didn't miss team meetings. They stepped up, they performed, they didn't let their teammates down. That's the huge difference for me, is that total lack of professionalism. And it, there's no real way to guard against that Because sometimes players just change. And Michael Zorg pretty much said as much, that he doesn't recognize Obama Young anymore. So something has changed. And maybe it's because of his age, and he wants to get that one last big money move. I mean, I always say he kind of has to because the way his lifestyle is, uh, he, he needs to get this big money move or he will be completely bankrupt by 35. <laughs> so, um... But he will own 15 cars, you know. <laughs> But... You know, they depreciate and at some point you cannot liquidize your assets anymore and then you're broke. <laughs> Especially if you have an entourage that also likes to spend your money. So um, there's that. But um, 
Enough about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Uh, Matthias, unless you have one uh, other striking option or replacement in your mind that's uh, not the two we just named, please go ahead. Otherwise, I'll gladly move on to the next topic. Well, we've already been talking for 50 minutes, so I think we need to move on to the next topic. All right. So since your wife is from Switzerland, uh, you completely qualify to talk first about Borussia Dortmund's latest edition, which is Manuel <laughs> Akanji from FC Basel uh, for a deal that uh, is uh, about 21.5 million euros worth. Or was it Schweizer Frank? That would be a crucial difference. But I think it's yours. So, Matthias, go ahead. Well, um, you know, obviously not to generalize. Um, <laughs> being being uh, related to Swiss, and of course, then my kids are Swiss, and uh, I try to follow Swiss football as much as I can. I don't really get to see much here, except Basel playing in the Champions League, of course, Switzerland playing. So, from the little bit I've seen of Manuel Akanji, he's really, really impressed me. I really like the signing. Um, he's a young player. He can still develop a lot. He's already good. I think he could be. Really, really, really good. It's the type of player as a defender that Dortmund uh, can use, kind of need. Obviously, he's stepping up to a higher level on a consistent basis. Now, he's played Champions League with Basel, and they've played well. And he plays for Switzerland. But, you know, that's occasional higher quality matches. Uh, the Bundesliga will be at a more consistent level. You're going to be playing against significantly stronger opposition. Um, so that proof is still in the pudding there, but, but from what I have seen and what I've read about him as well, it's a very good signing. And there are a number of clubs who were very, very interested in him. I think Liverpool wanted <laughs> Liverpool, him. Liverpool, of course. If, yes. if, Van, if Van Dijk wasn't going to work out, I think they definitely would have gone in hard for him. Um, but as it was, they had Van Dijk, another center back, even though they probably need it more than we do. Um, It, it kind of opened the door for us. And I think also lang linguistically, uh, culturally, playing style-wise, all that kind of stuff, it, it, it helps for Akanji to have that, that step. And I think that's the right step for him at this point in his career. I think with Liverpool, he would have been thrown in the deep end too much, first mistake, and they would have, you know, who knows, uh, hammered a poor kid. So I think it's a good signing for both sides. Yeah, I think we spent hours and hours discussing Borussia Dortmund centre-backs and their flaws. And I think we very often mentioned, especially while Peter Bosch was still the head coach, that Borussia Dortmund's backline is lacking pace. Manuel Akaji certainly does not lack pace. He is very, very quick. And uh, I like to see him use it not only defensively, but also in an attacking sense that he uses is to basically skip past a striker with like a little burst of speed, something that Christian Pulisic, for example, does all the time. Um, because uh, Konstantin spent yeah, also hours talking about how uh, Dortmund centre-backs should advance more often when they are on the ball to maybe, maybe break the first line and to instigate something. So, um, yeah, this is something I personally look forward to. He is, uh, yeah, one meter 87 tall. I don't know how much that is in feet, but uh, you can go look that up Six yourself. One. Six one. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, yeah, the, th the thing is, he is uh, pretty muscular 
and uh, also very very calm from what I can see that uh, when someone's running toward him he does not he doesn't get faced and that's uh, very good and yeah of course you can go on yellowwallpot.com and uh, read a very interesting interview uh, led by Lars Pohlmann with uh, Oliver Ziesiger who is a scout and a yeah, expert on football managers. So um, there's that. Konstantin, your two cents on Manuel Akanji? Uh, yeah, I mean, interesting signing. Um, sure, I mean, the price tag shouldn't surprise anyone anymore that uh, even, even a, um, a youngish uh, centre-back from Basel um, is, a, is over you know, the 20 million mark um, yeah, this, in this day and age. I mean, it's just what it is. Um, so, Euros, not mark. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Cool. Uh, what, 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 a, what a dated joke, actually. Uh, <laughs> no, um, just and seriously, I mean, right, right now, uh, there are rumors that, uh, or like when you look at the um, centre-back squads, Let's put it this way. Um, like uh, Dortmund right now has six center backs. Uh, Nevin Subutic is basically, I think, I mean, he's not really a factor anymore. Maybe he will have a few matches like the one against Leverkusen. Um, but there won't be that many matches where he will play as, as, as a starting center back at least. Mark Bartra, there are rumors that he, he wants to leave because of the... Um, bombing attack and you know he's just he's homesick and stuff like that all right um i mean he's right now he's not really a factor either um then you got toprak and socrates who are your, your starting center backs right now and you got sagadu who's um a highly valued uh, highly appreciated um talent within the club or by like the person uh, that the people in charge um, so he will get his chances going forward, I guess. I mean, he played as a left back uh, early on in the season because Schmelzer was injured, Guerrero was injured, um, Tolian was not there, or he had to play as a right back. So uh, Sagadu got, got some got a chance to play as a left back, not his not like this really suitable position, but still he did quite well in uh, on occasions. Um, so let's say Bartra leaves, Subutich leaves, um, then you get four. Um, Akanji qualifies for the kind of, uh, like for the athletic type of center back. Uh, normally uh, today you got two set, when you get um, uh, two center backs in the back four, you have one who's, who's a little bit more of the playmaking center back and one who's more, uh, who's a better one on one player. Um, who takes uh, more responsibilities uh, when it comes to defending in one-on-one situations against the center forward because most most teams just play with one center forward. Um, so Akanji, I think, qualifies for the latter, um, while Topra qualifies for the for the former. He's he's more of the playmaking kind of center back, especially right now. I mean, we will talk about the match against Wolfsburg um, and even against Bayern at times. He is. More confident, he shows more confidence in stepping up, um, you know, exploring spaces, going forward, uh, you know, doing more of the playmaking stuff you have to do, especially when when uh, Weigel draws all the attention towards him. Then there's there's room for um, Toprak to advance, um, you know, and, and be a factor in the in the in the build up. 
Um, so having Akanshi and, and Sagadu, you have two tremendous athletes, you know, uh, I mean, Sagadu is, I don't know, he's <laughs> incredibly tall, um, also athletically gifted, Akanji's athletically gifted, um, so, I mean, in addition to Turbrak, maybe you need another playmaking center back, because Spotra would be the one, but he's out the door, so maybe that's what they want to do, or they will just keep Socrates, but I don't know if that, uh, or maybe he will leave, so, but Akanji is, is like, what I want to say is that he is, like, the perfect logic uh, addition to your, your centre-back squad, especially when you consider who will probably or who will most likely leave um, soon. So, uh, because now you have another athletic, athletically gifted centre-back who's, who's uh, fast enough to defend counter-attacks and who's, who's uh, agile enough and, and quick, quick, on his feet, uh, quick enough on his feet to um, defend the one-on-one situations, while Toprak is not like the kind of guy who should do that. And why Socrates is fading a little bit. Yeah, Socrates, uh, you know, his deal is running out in 2019, which means this could also be his uh, last season to add to that. So I actually think that Akanji has some ball-playing skills himself. Sure, but um, normally... footed Yeah. But it, it's it's the same like when you watch Bayern Munich. You got three, three centre-backs, Süle, Hummels, Boateng. All, are, all have talent in terms of build-up. But Süle is the weakest build-up player. So often enough, um, opponents try to expose his, his uh, slight weaknesses. And I think Akanji is, is like the same kind of player. Very athletic, good in defending one-on-one situations. Um, decent decent build-up player, but would be weaker than Toprak. So what you should do is either um, use Toprak as your build-up player and when um, um, teams try to expose Akanji's slight weaknesses on the ball, his technical weaknesses, um, then you either, sh- either switch, then you uh, let uh, Weigel drop back, or you use the the right back. If you have someone like Piszczek um, as a as your right back, then you use in, in in a little bit of a half space position to to help Akanji because he's not as as good on the ball as as Toprak is, or as Butler would be. But Butler, you know, you know the story. Yeah, we, uh, you know, it's. I, I don't know how, how likely it is that Bartra will leave. Uh, I guess that's uh, another one for the next episode. Uh, Lewis, anything to add to uh, a country joining Dortmund or should we finally talk about the uh, scoreless draw? I, I feel like everything that could possibly be said at this point has been said <laughs> by now. Um, I, All right. I, I, I think I watched Man United play Basel and he played really well against Lukaku and I think that's the only time I have seen him, so no. Okay, so um, <laughs> I mean, Dortmund, of course, uh, only had a point in uh, this game on on Sunday against Wolfsburg and failed to uh, leapfrog both Schalke and Leipzig, and are now are on fourth. They could have been in second, but uh, yeah, due to I don't want to say subpar finishing, but you know, wasn't exactly any efficiency in our finishing department there otherwise we would have at least got that one goal um nevertheless i think uh, that game wasn't all that bad um lewis since you are the englishman here and uh, don't want <laughs> had the very first uh, uh, you know the, the englishman who had his very first start for borussia dortmund uh, you might want to talk about him because i thought that was a very uh, bright performance by jaden sancho 
Yeah, the first Englishman to ever start a game for Borussia Dortmund and his first ever professional start. And I think we saw a lot of what he's been showing for the Manchester City youth team for a couple of years and since he moved there from Watford and then also for the English youth team uh, through various age categories now. He's brilliant in one-on-one situations, in beating a man from especially from the left-hand side, although actually, interestingly, for Man City last year, he played quite often as a force nine. Um, But mostly from the left-hand side, he can beat defenders either way. And he was really, really exciting, I think. It's always... I think player debuts are always exciting, and even more so when it's a young player, and we haven't really seen much of them at other clubs and that kind of thing. And Sancho gave us every reason to think that he's going to have a really, really huge future. Um, the way he combined with other players, especially I think Shinji Kagawa quite a few times, and Mario Götze, was nice. The players clearly trust him. Nobody seemed reluctant at any point to give him the ball. There are no second thoughts there. And he already seems to have a lot of respect and fits in well in the dressing room, which again, for a player of such an age, coming to a different country, I think is to be admired. Um, and I think he's just about exciting enough at this point that we can forgive some careless moments because it doesn't matter. He's on the ball, really, really vibrant, and it's actually just exciting to watch him play. So I don't mind if he carelessly loses possession a few times. Yeah, and even if he does, um, you know, that will happen to any player that dribbles a lot. They will at some point always lose the ball and it will look careless, more careless than when you play a bad pass, which could be equally careless Definitely. to, to make that uh, that argument. But uh, it will, you know, you will just, you know, as a fan watching from the stands or on TV, you will just get the sense that he is being way more careless than, uh, you know, if you just played that pass into the feet of your opponent. And yada, I think yada, yada. that's what I mean. I'm actually happy to see that because I think young players, you could forgive them for being maybe nervous, that kind of thing on a debut and playing it safe in front of 80,000 people for the first time of your life. Um, so, yeah, I think it's actually probably a positive sign that sometimes he loses possession when ideally he wouldn't and i just i think the thing i like most is the variations that he has in his play in the final third his defenders can't be quite sure if he's going to go inside go outside if he's looking to create an angle to shoot or even to play a wall pass with somebody it's pretty much every option looks open to him uh yeah and basically i just think that's really really interesting really really difficult to defend against and a huge weapon yeah the the thing is Dortmund now in the, in the past few years had a lot of young guys that could dribble really well we can look at Emre Moore obviously Usman Dembele we have Christian Pulisic on the team who, who does that sort of stuff all the time and uh, yeah Yamolenko isn't young but he likes to dribble as well now the, the thing with uh, Moore Dembele and to some extent Christian Pulisic because he also sometimes likes to run head first into a wall is what I like about Jaden Sancho so far from what I've seen is that he he is very mature in his decision-making and knowing when to dribble and when to hold off. And I think this is something that's uh, not easy to learn um, because sometimes you just feel you can beat anyone and will just try to slalom around it and maybe not read the entire situation on the field, how everyone else is uh, 
yeah position in context to you and what would be the consequence of a loss of possession in in this moment so i think that's something uh that's very positive about him and uh, makes him look very mature of course that does not mean he will never ever lose possession because you know sometimes uh defenders just uh, know what you were know what you are going to do um matthias Anything to add on Jaden Sancho, or do you want to maybe, uh, yeah, highlight the uh, performance of Alexander Isak, who also I think made his first Bundesliga start? I'm not sure, but I think it was. Uh, yeah, it was, and no, I don't think there's anything more to say to to uh, Jaden Sancho. I think Lewis uh, covered it perfectly, and really, really impressed by both players, and and also, you know, Isak had a solid start. Obviously, had a great opportunity. That, that hit the post. Um, there were a few other op- chances where or moments where you, you hoped he would do a little bit more. But again, I'm always surprised because he's he's quite the lanky kid. You know, he's not power built, um, he, but he can pull off moves, can can put in some speed, and actually has some presence. Also physically, that surprises me at times because you look at him, you don't necessarily think of any of those those attributes. So uh, it's I'm very optimistic about the two of them, and if they get a few more matches to play, that it'll start clicking more and more, especially the two of them uh, together. So Isak, solid Bundesliga start, uh, debut. Uh, it would have been nice if it would have been like the match against Magdeburg in the cup, but hey, you know, you can't have it all. So it I was uh, optimistic. That it, that it went well. Yeah, me too. I think we can all agree on that. Um, Constantine, as a connoisseur of very fine football, do you agree with me that uh, Mario Götze was the man of the match until his substitution? Oh yeah, Mario Götze is um, almost always the man of the match. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> cool. yeah, well, it is. I mean, it's, it's just uh, he's he's basically um in the uh, i mean in the attacking midfield he's basically the best playmaker in germany or the best german uh, play, uh, playmaker um you know about in the attacking attacking midfield uh, range um not, of course not, i mean behind him that's that's tony Gross, but um basically best understanding of of any kind of situation and um yeah he, has, he of course he has the technique um, to do all kind of things you have to do and all, play all kind of passes. And um, yeah, so if he puts everything together, he's, he will be most likely your man of the match. Because he's just that kind of player. Um, but as I as I said earlier, um, as he has been transitioning into, you know, more of this Iniesta kind of player, um, it's, you know, it, it wouldn't suit him to play on the wing, to play as a false nine. It's... Just you know, Götze right now he is really he gets used, he gets comfortable in this uh, number eight role, um, and you know just occasionally drifting towards uh, this, the touch lines, um, occasionally going um, you know between the, the opposing center backs and stuff like that. But you know, usually being your your kind of advanced playmaker, um, and especially when I've, I've got, got yeah, sorry, one one question yeah. about that. Do you think that especially under Stöger now that uh, he will be very, even even more valuable? 
uh, considering. At least I have the feeling that Dortmund will have more counterattacks than uh, they usually had. They had a couple of uh, moments in transition um, against Wolfsburg. And I, I remember one situation where uh, Jaden Sancho had the ball on the side and then passed it to Götze. You know, was still somewhat deep in his own half. Just turned around with his first touch uh, around one Wolfsburg player and then, you know, moved the ball onto an open Kagawa. And, you know, obviously the ball ended up at Yamolenko and it went, you know, you know, you know, you know the end of that. But, uh, you know, my point being is, do you think that uh, Götze has even more value to add when there's a team playing more a transition football? Actually, um, Kagawa is, is um, or let's let's put it this way. Um, yes, yes, is value uh, when you when you have a more counter-attacking focused um, style. But Götze is uh, at his best uh, when his team is, is a, you know has a possession-heavy um, concept style, whatever you want to call it. Um, why you know he's still he's, he's still um useful in in counter attacks, but I think in Kagawa's case is basically the other way around. While he still can do well in the in the possession heavy style, he's better in counter attacking situations. Um, but Götze, as I said, can do it all. Um, it's just you know uh, normally um because he's the kind of player who who always finds the solution in narrow spaces in narrow situations under pressure that's where he finds solutions quicker and more effective than almost any other player in the bundesliga and even europe there are not not as many um that are on his level in that kinds of situation that's why he's you know that's why i i continue to compare him with iniesta because iniesta is basically the same um, well, the the the, the yeah. positive thing though is you know mm. now that Götze has been burned at Bayern basically and and rejoined Dortmund, even though if he's going to play an integral part now for Dortmund, maybe he's a little bit more reluctant to leave in two or three seasons again if if there's a big offer on the table and maybe Dortmund can enjoy that sort of world class that is somewhere in Mario Götze and I think we already see again in glimpses uh, maybe they can enjoy it for a little bit longer who knows but uh, you know uh, Dortmund fans can maybe be hopeful yeah but they, I think there are uh, two factors that are play into the the, the the hope that um, Götze will stay at Dortmund for three four five seasons is that first he Ha- now uh, has had the experience of you know pretty much uh, going underwater at at a, a major club uh, and it, it was a German club not not even you know as somewhere in Spain or France or or England it was it was a German club it was uh, basically uh, you know in Munich where he has a lot of friends family and and all that kind of stuff so still he had he had issues there. But he was better than, like, in, in retrospect, I think a, a lot of people undersell his performances uh, he, he had for Bayern. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit undersold there, but all right. Um, that's kind of the narrative. Um, but the, the, another thing is that uh, our major clubs, let's say Paris, uh, Paris um, you know, Chelsea, Manchester United, uh, clubs like that, who would naturally be interested in a player like Götze. Uh, maybe they are more reluctant to uh, go for him and sign him for you know 50 million or more uh, because they have seen what uh, how he's how he allegedly or you know some somewhat struggled at Bayern 
Um, and also because his style now is less tripling focused, um, less spectacular. Um, and it, it sounds crazy, but uh, even even uh, top tier scouts, you know, fr from from United or uh, from I don't know Real Madrid, they sometimes overlook someone like him and at the little things he does well. Um, so um, because he's not as spectacular as he was in his first stint at Dortmund, and maybe he flies a little bit under the radar. And he won't be like the major or the main transfer target for, you know, the clubs I mentioned or for other uh, big money, big money clubs. So um, that's maybe somewhat of, of you know, a glimpse of hope for uh, Dortmund fans that even if he will do well for, for the club and he will be a major tool and a major weapon, um, they, Dortmund can keep him um, and he will be like one of the few players who will really um, be a franchise player, basically. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I was getting at, that, uh, you know, he, after all, is a Dortmund boy, and he's only 25 years old, so, you know, he has a long time to go, and if he becomes a franchise player, that is uh, very helpful for Dortmund, because they are losing their best talent all too often, and, uh, yeah, if they can get keep a hold on, on Götze, and if he's continuing to do as well as he's doing and it seems like he has not reached the ceiling yet which I think is good news um Matthias uh one thing that we saw also was the return of Lukas Piszczek and with that also um Jeremy Toyan playing on the left side how did you see both fullbacks perform against Wolfsburg? Well, I think Tolian continues to improve, especially under Peter Stöger. And for Piszczek, I would have to say that was probably the most solid performance I've seen this season. <laughs> and the one that definitely filled me with the most confidence. Uh, he looked comfortable. He, he looked attacking. But he, he was solid defensively. Overall, I'd say it's his best performance this season, and it makes me wonder if, until now, he's always been kind of playing, I guess, with a physical knock even earlier in the season that he was trying to overcompensate with, and that's why it just didn't look like the old Piszczek. And he's not the old Piszczek, of course. Now he's just an older version of Piszczek. <laughs> no, he is the old Piszczek. <laughs> the old Piszczek, but, you know, us old guys need to stick together. Um, and so I thought, to me, his best performance of the season. Yeah, I have to concur just because usually he had one really wayward pass in his game or per game. And uh, this time he did not think he was very solid and confident, as you said. Lewis, um, <laughs> the Twitter can be a very cynical place. And uh, no. there, have, there have been people saying things like, oh, I wish Yamolenko would have skipped the team meeting. <laughs> <laughs> because he, he did not have his best game however um the, the, the thing is of course <laughs> he had some moments where you really had to scratch your head but on the other hand you can always make the argument yes he did have these chances he got in the positions whatnot so um you are now the one i designate to make sense of this performance and tell me whether we should keep believing in uh, andrea Yamolenko being a very good signing or going into the uh, Andre Schule floppish narrative? Um, to keep believing he's a really good signing, you have to have thought that in the first place. 
Uh, so I don't know if that's the case for everybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I think um, yeah, it, it was a weird performance. Like you said, he got into the positions, and that's basically the main thing that you ask of somebody. And then he made some weird choices. The second one, the one in the second half that he put over the bar was Sancho was actually coming onto the ball in a nicer rhythm to strike it. And then he used his weak foot to put it over the bar. But I think at least he tried something with his right foot. He wasn't to know perhaps that Sancho was coming in behind him. And it's a rubbish finish, but it's hard to blame him for that one because it can happen. The one in the first half actually almost made me burst out laughing. The way he kind of twisted his body and jumped half a foot in the air to kick the ball <laughs> with the outside of his shin. You, you mean this uh, the the one from very close range? I, yeah, I find it very hard to describe for anybody who hasn't seen it or needs reminding because it's something that has no logic behind it at all. He was in a really fine position to just use his favored foot and decided to twist his body like 40 degrees and then try and kick it with the outside of his shin which would have been spectacular had it gone in but it obviously didn't um we, we have a 25 million euro signing and we can't just write him off because that would be a huge waste of money after half a season where we changed the coach so and he had no preseason either to integrate with anybody. He's clearly extremely talented, but the decisions that he makes are really strange sometimes. And I think there's definitely a use for him, but I would prefer to see some minutes, some more minutes in the Rokunda go to Sancho than he got in the Hinrunda. We've already had that, um, but I would like to see him a bit closer to the first team. And when Philip is back and possibly somehow Marco Royce is fit again, then, yeah, I know. <laughs> Maybe eventually. <laughs> crazy thought, right? What a waste of time to talk about. Um, but I think if those players are available, then I struggle to I struggle to reason with giving Yarmolenko too much time on the pitch, actually. Well, the, the thing is, you know, Christian Pulisic is yeah. uh, at least described fit at, for Friday's game. And I, I think we can now tune our attention to that match uh you know that's that's i guess my very first question that i have and i will give it to you matthias um with Pulisic being fit and Sancho playing like he played last sunday um and i, I don't know if Aubameyang will play or not play this <laughs> it's also very interesting but my first question is do you basically play a front three that's on has an average age of 18 years Uh, I guess I take it opponent by opponent. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, if 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 you're smart, that's the way you do it. I mean, would I throw those kids up against um, Bayern? Probably not. But at this point, I probably would just forfeit the match and take a two nil loss. Um, no, in in all seriousness, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm definitely not one to write Yarmolenko off. He had a bad day at the office. He had very. Obama Young like misses uh, the head scratchers where you're like, how did that not go in? Um, everybody has a bad day. Unfortunately, it was his. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely not in the camp of writing him off. But, you know, like was just said, you know, when 
when Marco Reus comes back, when Philip is there, when you also have uh, Pulisic and Sancho and, well, still Schürrle and, of course, <laughs> Yamolenko, there's a plethora to choose from. And that's why I said letting Aubameyang go, I'd be okay with because you could play a front three with not your traditional set number nine, maybe even a rotational option in that position. Um, so, you know, keep people fresh, rotate a little bit. We still have the Europa League to contend with. We can't forget that. Uh, we don't have the cup anymore, but we have the Europa League. So I, I would just rotate and I like a balance of youth and experience rather than just youth or just experience. Okay. Um, Louis, since you live in Berlin, what can we make of Hertha? Pretty similar to recent years, I would say, under Fal Dardai, that the game is going to be mind-numbingly dull, that they will play in probably a 4-2-3-1, and they will man-mark Dortmund in the build-up, and Dortmund will not have many answers to that because it's not something they work on as much anymore, and they lost some really quality players, like we've gone on and on about before, from the back of the field. So I think, especially if we line up with a front line that has an average age of 18, we can probably anticipate an incredibly dull, very frustrating evening ahead of us. Of course, Hertha also have some talents in themselves. Ibisevic always gives teams problems, especially when he's in the mood to act like a complete dick, basically. And uh, Davy Zerka, I don't know if he'll play or not, but has started playing a bit more recently and is a huge threat. And yeah, I essentially just expect a boring game where somebody nicks a goal and I hope that it will be us. Well, I heard on Rasenfunk that Hertha has like the one of the most prolific uh, set-piece ratings, I guess, uh, if you want to put it that way. Meaning they are very good in uh, converting or, or uh, creating shots from corners and other set pieces. Um, Konstantin, is this the sort of game where Mario Götze is the X Factor? I mean, we already talked about him, and I think there's a stat out there that he never lost at the Olympiastadion. That's kind of the useful statistics you need. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, if Götze uh, only uh, does appearances at the, only makes appearances at the Olympiastadion, he will never lose the match again. Yeah, career. or if goal impact is localized to only to the Olympiastadion, then Götze is the best player ever. He, he's one thousand, <laughs> <laughs> or something. Um, no. Um, it's it's kind of uh, Hertha is kind of similar to uh, Wolfsburg actually um maybe their their press is a little bit less intense um but it all, all also um depends on what Dada tries to do sometimes he lets his team sit deep sometimes he tries to or he lets uh, the two like the midfield and the back line sit deep and two strikers just run forward for whatever reason um so yeah, there there are a lot of similarities between the two. Um, also, one good center forward, um, because Davy Silk has done quite well. Um, still, I think he he works more effectively when he is uh, paired with 
Um, Ibizovic, um, I mean, the first uh, match of the Rick one day against Stuttgart when they lost um, at Stuttgart, uh, he was the uh, lone center forward, and then Ibizovic came came in and uh, replaced Selke, so they didn't play together. Um, I think together they are uh, they are more of a threat because then Selke can drift wide and um, do a little bit of that stuff, uh, while Ibizovic is more of the the traditional center forward with the layoff passes. Um, so I will. We will. We will see how that will work out. I think the two of them could uh, pose some threat, could pressure um, Socrates and Toprak, um, because they are still prone to make mistakes, uh, to give up a little bit of space here and there, to commit uh, fouls, to you know be either too hesitant or um, too attacking minded sometimes. Um, so yeah, decision making is still an issue. So, um, maybe th- that is something. Um, also, both like the both wing wing pairings, um, you got Visor and Matthew Lecky, both incredibly fast. Um, you got Lazaro and Plattenhardt on the left, also, um, dynamic duo basically. Um, Lazaro is fast, uh, Plattenhardt has, has also the speed uh, going for him and, and um, knows when to advance, knows when to hold back. Um, so uh, maybe there's there's a threat for Dortmund. Overall, they should dominate the match. But um, Stöger has somewhat figured out how to uh, make it more even uh, as far as possession goes, possession rates goes. Um, so ah. Hmm, uh, I'm 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 curious how how he how he plans out the match. What his match plan basically is? Um, because if if Hertha just sits deep and waits for the counter, um, that there could be some openings uh, for them. Um, and then they could use the speed um, of Selke, Lucky, and so on against Dortmund's uh, defenders, uh, could still be hurt uh, on the break. So, yeah, kind of tricky, kind of tricky. So what? Like if uh, Bosch. Would still be coach at Dortmund. That's that's one of, one of the matches you lose. <laughs> you just lose it uh, because like Dortmund would have like seventy five percent ball possession, and you would lose by two goals. So. <laughs> um, but like since uh, Stöger has adjusted the match plan, and you know they they are not like kind of. Uh, blindly just <laughs> running forward um, it will be tougher for Hertha to uh, score but maybe it will also be tougher for Dortmund to, to score um, themselves uh, and so it could be a close match uh, which will see Dortmund as the victor at the end Alright, so um, yeah, I, I, I think it's it's going to be a close one, usually games between Hertha and Dortmund are close Contested games. Uh, I think there was this 3-0 win in the German Cup semi-final uh, in 2016, where Hertha just uh, they shed their pants because you know the idea of having a cup final in the Olympia Stadium was just too big for them to to handle. And uh, yeah, I think in 2014 or so there was a 4-0 win away to Hertha. I don't know if this was the no, that wasn't the game where Großkreuz scored. <laughs> <laughs> a bicycle kick but uh the, the, no the, i don't i don't even know did, when that did was did he but, ever uh-huh. yeah he he scored no that that was a one win i think where he scored that bicycle kick maybe 2012 or so um but yeah i always thought i was just just streaming that one 
Um, and it <laughs> actually never happened. Um, just one one more thing I wanted to add uh, to, to Hertha's style. It's, it's interesting. We, uh, right now, Dortmund usually um, when they when they are defending, they are in a four one four one. Obermeier, of course not. Um, Isaac is basically the, the the first player who is uh, pressuring a little bit. Um, it's interesting because Hertha is one of these Bundesliga teams um, that. That has two center center midfielders. One Scalpret, uh, Per Scalpret will drop back between the center backs, and Arne Meyer is just lost out out uh, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, that's the second center midfielder, Arne Meyer. Uh, pretty talented guy, but you know he's just in the middle of nowhere. So I mean, there would be a, there would be a chance to pressure them a little bit more intensely than what uh, Dortmund has done in the last few matches. So um, will be interesting if if Stöger adjust, uh, makes some adjustments uh, in that regard. I don't know, but um, I think um, you could do that actually because uh, normally Hertha they don't they don't know how to how to play the ball through the middle at all. Um, it's just always going to the to the fullbacks, and I mean you can cut off the fullbacks pretty easily actually. All right, yeah, I'm I'm uh, very curious to see how this game pans out. As as you said, usually they are very dull. Matthias, what kind of match do you expect? Do you expect uh, excitement and? Uh, a heap of goals or just as we already said? Yeah, pretty much just as we already said. All right, then with hitting the one and a half hour mark, you can uh, give us your prediction and then I think we can slowly but truly go out of here. I'm going to go with a 1-0 for Dortmund. All right, I'm going to go for a 2-1 win for Dortmund. I just feel like Hesha are going to score that one corner and then it's going to be 1-1 and then Dortmund score the winner in like the 73rd minute or whatever. So, um, yeah. Konstantin, your prediction? 1-0 uh, as well. Louis? Uh, without Aubameyang, I would yep. go for 0-0. Nil, nil. And with Aubameyang? 5-0, <laughs> 5-0, <laughs> Okay, but yeah, I don't we're, think we're, that's, that's gonna happen. I don't know. I have a weird feeling that he will actually play, <laughs> but I have been wrong before, and I will be wrong again. Anyway, no. th thank you all for joining me on uh, this very extended podcast. But I think we had a couple of things to discuss. Um, Matthias, since you are the first that has to leave, uh, please tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet. And thanks again. <laughs> Glad to always be here. You can find me on Twitter at Matthias Suk. That's two T's, two S's, two U's. Lewis? <laughs> uh, on Twitter at LG Ambrose. Constantine? At CC underscore ECKNER. Coolio. And you can find me at Stefan Butzko. You can find my written work on ESPNFC. You can get hold of all of us on Twitter as well at yellowworldpod is the Twitter handle yellowworldpod.com is the uh, website where you can find our written work and of course the podcast and you can also subscribe to our show on iTunes Stitcher and SoundCloud and if you want to pledge us some money on patreon.com do that on patreon.com slash the yellow and uh, yeah that's everything from us for now until next week goodbye